When I say can you dig it, put your two hands up like that. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Can You Dig It? A podcast by SilverScreenAndRoll.com. I'm Christian Rivas, joined by Jacob Rude. And as much as I'd like to spend this show talking about Kendrick Lamar's return uh, and how excited I am for that, this is a Lakers podcast. And I guess the biggest news around the NBA, uh, luckily, kind of pertains to the Lakers. uh, And that is the news that the Sacramento Kings finally hired a head coach i say finally but i'm also like not sure what the rush was like of all the teams with the coaching vacancy it seems like they felt the need to fill their vacancy first maybe that's because uh as we'll get into a lot of the candidates that they are looking at are also looking at uh situations that are perhaps more desirable than coaching in Sacramento, as hard as that is to believe. Uh, And and, uh, one of those names that was taken off of the board today that was also on the Lakers big board was Golden State Warriors assistant Mike Brown. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported on Sunday morning, I want to say. That afternoon-ish that the uh, Kings and and Mike Brown agreed to a four-year deal, uh, which for Lakers fans that don't know, that is the standard contract of an NBA head coach. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll see what the next Lakers head coach got, but Frank Vogel got two years and then a one-year extension, which basically was his, uh, it was the Lakers two-week notice to him, essentially. And um, we know how that ended and, the Lakers will be the Lakers have already started their interviews with, with their head coaching candidates. And uh, but first reaction, uh, Mike Brown, new coach of the Sacramento Kings. What do you think? Uh, well, when it comes to Mike Brown, he was somebody that was kind of initially linked to the job. I don't think he ever was really that realistic for a number of reasons. Uh, he was very mediocre when he didn't have in his prime LeBron James carrying them in Cleveland. Um, Also because of he was a Lakers coach before, and that wasn't exactly great. Um, So I I don't, and it really, when he was linked to the Lakers, it was very early on. The only two times he was linked was one before Frank Vogel was even fired by Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report. And then the other time was about a week after Dan Wojcicki, had just a list of names and Mike Brown was uh, among them after that it's been going on about three weeks or so and Mike Brown hasn't really been linked to the Lakers now Dave McMiniman had the tweet that the Lakers were intending on interviewing somewhere between like eight and ten candidates over zoom Um, I given that number and who they've been linked to I would think that there's a possibility that could have included Mike Brown ultimately I don't think he was really much of a serious candidate so it doesn't hurt the lakers in that regard what it hurts i was really what you're gonna say (laughs) i was really relying on the kings to hire mark jackson because that was gonna take the uh, uh the that potential away 
that was what I was most annoyed about about by this uh, by them hiring Mike Brown. Yeah, I would not love uh, Mark Jackson as a head coach. Um, there are enough stories out there about him to make you go, hmm, that's probably why he hasn't worked in the NBA since. Uh, the ones that stand out to me the most, though, are Joe Lakeup had an interview where he talked about the Warriors' decision to let Mark Jackson go. And I'm paraphrasing here. But the crux of it was, you know, as much as the players liked him and as much as we supported him, like organizationally, he didn't seem to have any backing or or anything of the sort. Like the quote, the number he used was like, you know, you can have all those people like you, but you also can't have 200 people that dislike working with you. Um which is not maybe it was just a bad fit, but uh, that combined with like you know stories about him, you know, forcing his religious views down uh, his players' throats, and this you know story of him taking Steph Curry to his church and trying to heal his ankle with this holy oil, um, and Steph Curry like not knowing what to do. Uh, as a result of that, I think he said he hopped around on one leg and the church went wild for it. And Mark Jackson was really happy, but he said like, truly and honestly, it it was just a, what would somebody do in this situation? (laughs) So there's a lot out there. That is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. The other one that always got with me was that, um, I believe there was a report that his assistant coaches were like recording, conversations with him because like they were scared of like what he was going to say to them and things like that like Mm -hmm. uh assistant coaches on his staff were like dropping left and right toward the end of his tenure in golden state and which just kind of goes to him not having really anybody support so i think the more than anything else is just looking at how good that team became the minute he wasn't the coach. And I mean, obviously Steve Kerr is really good, but they went from like mediocre scrapping it through the playoffs to like greatest team of all time with Mark Jackson leaving. So more than anything, I think that is the only point that really needs to be made is he just wasn't a good coach and he held everybody there back. And what's funny is I definitely made that same argument uh, as a case against hiring Jason Kidd uh, to be a head coach. Look at Jason Kidd now. It's crazy. I think it's obviously different circumstances. Uh, Mark Jackson's only experience as an NBA head coach came, and a coach in general, came with those those three, four, uh, but I want to say three seasons. Uh, with the Warriors, which is crazy, and he hasn't had a job since. Um, and at least in Jason Kidd's case, he was a coach for a little while with the Nets and the Bucks, took a break, came back, was an assistant coach on a championship-level team, and then took that Mavericks job. Um, and so that's why I don't think it's exactly a like-for-like comparison – and it's just been so long. It's been nearly a decade since Mark Jackson's been an NBA head coach. And I don't know if that's 
something you just jump back into. Like maybe Monty Williams is a perfect example of, um, you know, somebody that got another shot in, in the NBA and made the most of it. But again, Monty, Monty Williams did his time on the sidelines as an assistant and adapted to the modern NBA. Um, so overall, yes, I agree with you. I am really, really hoping that the list of candidates gets narrowed down shortly and that, and that Mark Jackson isn't part of that second wave. Uh, I think the good news, though, is that if Mark Jackson, for some reason, is the next head coach of the Lakers, we won't know for a little while uh, because there was a report on, I want to say, Saturday uh, that Adrian Wojnarowski uh, of ESPN and Sham Sharania have both, um, sorry. Uh, yeah, so their, their initial reports were about the Lakers wanting to take a slower approach to this, especially after the backlash they faced in, in the wake of their last coaching hire, the Tyron Lue debacle turning into them falling ass backwards into Frank Bogle. Uh, but Mark Stein, uh, NBA insider, I was going to say his publication, but he's just on Substack now. Um, yeah. Reported, quote, sources maintain that the Lakers coach coaching search is moving deliberately, at least in part. Is uh, Whoa. Is there is there a sorry, I'm reading and I think there might be a word missing, but. Sources maintain that the Lakers search is moving deliberately, at least in part because L.A. wants to see if Philadelphia's Doc Rivers or Utah's Quinn Snyder makes it uh, to the open market this offseason, which makes sense. I mean, that is basically what we've all been speculating, whether it be with Quinn Snyder or Nick Nurse. Uh, But I see you shaking your head at the thought of Doc Rivers. I mean, they tied the series up. Uh, and if there, you know, if there was one thing that was going to save Doc Rivers' legacy, I thought it would be him coming back from the three-point lead. But he, they never even got to that point. They they tied it up. It turns out uh, James Harden and Joel Embiid are still uh, good basketball players. Man, two of the first what three or four coaching candidates we've mentioned this episode are <laughs> Mark Jackson and Doc Rivers. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that they should, they can and maybe should move slowly through this coaching search. Um, I've, Quinn Snyder, I still, I think something could still happen there. Um, yeah. Doc Rivers, I mean, it from the reporting, it seems like Doc Rivers wants that to be a thing more than the Lakers might. Uh, but I mean, Mark Stein, clearly there's something there about the Lakers having some level of interest. Uh, we've talked a lot about him and why we don't want him basically, but, uh, I mean, they should be taking this slow and deliberate. There's over a month before the draft and like outside of having people having a coach in to like watch workouts, draft workouts, Mm -hmm. though the Lakers don't even have a pick like outside of that. And then like meetings to target free agents, like there isn't like a huge need right this minute for a coach to be on the staff. Right. Uh, Not so much as to rush this in any way. So 
I'm fine with them taking a deliberate approach. And I think that makes sense. And I like that they're interviewing lots of people, whether it's Darvin Ham, who probably is my preferred favorite now, because I I think there's stuff that could still happen with Quinn Snyder, but it really seems like he's going to be staying in Utah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they've interviewed Darvin Ham, Adrian Griffin. I don't even necessarily mind them interviewing Terry Stotts. Um, They should be like casting a wide net initially. And it makes sense to be slow and deliberate right now. I just wish they'd pick better people to interview. Harry Stotts is a chaotic pick to me because his offense in Portland was essentially give Damon CJ the ball and get out of the way. And his plan on defense was to play basketball. You guys have been doing this long enough. You know what to do. Uh, and unless Frank Vogel is his assistant coach, I can't say with any confidence that <laughs> a Terry Sots team would be competent on the defensive end. Um, and, so you know, I really just just a hunch. I don't think Frank Vogel is going to be his assistant coach. <laughs> I I mean, never say never. He was going to be an assistant <laughs> on Ty Lue's staff before he was hired as the head coach. So he's at least open. Uh, or at least was open to the possibility. In total, we have 11 coaches that have been connected to the Lakers. That includes the aforementioned Quinn Snyder, Nick Nurse, Doc Rivers, Jawan Howard, Steve Clifford, Terry Stotts, Mark Jackson, Darvin Ham, Scott Brooks, Alex Jensen, and Adrian Griffin. I also don't like Scott Brooks. I also want to go on record no. saying I am anti hiring Scott Brooks, even in a doomsday scenario where Russell Westbrook is still on the team uh, when the season starts, maybe as an assistant, but as a head coach, I am out on him. Uh, Ironically, if I had to name my top three realistic candidates, I'd probably go Quinn Snyder one, Darvin Ham two, you're going to hate me, but Doc Rivers is coming in at number three for me, which may speak to the pool of candidates. That's um, all for me. I'm out of here. <laughs> See you guys later. But like Jawan Howard would be somebody I'd be pretty hyped on. Uh, he's somebody I think can be a very capable head coach in the NBA, but he's not leaving. Uh, is, is it his son playing under him next season? They, they will be. He has two, I believe, two sons at. We'll be playing under him. He's not leaving Michigan. Yeah. So I, uh, again, this pool of candidates could change, uh, but right now, even their like wide net, we don't know that they've interviewed yet, but like their wide net includes coaches that are still employed by other teams. So I'm inclined to think that what is out there is what they're going to be working with bearing some like, I mean, if if Mike Brown was was in the running, maybe we can get a good old Mike D'Antoni back in the fold, which <laughs> I, I mean, listen, <laughs> LeBron and AD under Mike D'Antoni, even Russ, those three guys under Mike D'Antoni, you give Mike D'Antoni's last last year's roster. They're the eighth seed. <laughs> they're not much better, but for for the sake of Mike D'Antoni's health. Do not bring that man back to LA because good Lord, I will admit that like I was probably a little too harsh on him when he was here because he had some God awful teams that he made enjoyable to watch. He made Kendall Marshall a thing, which 
it still baffles my mind. Um, I mean, on paper, yeah, it'd be fun. And his offense is like exactly what you want around LeBron. But like, yeah, there's a whole lot of other factors uh, that would go into that. Most of which being that you probably could not have gotten a uh, more bitter divorce than uh, Mike D'Antoni and the Lakers and <laughs> Magic Johnson tweeting happy times again, I believe was the <laughs> phrase. And um, apparently, I mean, he clearly has some type of voice in the the front office, so I don't know that he'll be signing off on it. But I mean, you, you're not wrong. I would have the same first and second as you as kind of my realistic rankings and after that there's a huge gap my next one would not be doc rivers but <laughs> it would be i earnestly don't know who would be next on that probably list. terry stocks yeah I, him or I, I really don't know maybe adrian griffin uh because everybody else just has like steve clifford has never really worked out as a a head coach in orlando or charlotte um scott brooks yeah he would have made sense as an assistant to help with russ last year but that didn't work out um and we've talked about mark jackson and doc rivers juan howard's probably not coming back i'm not even sure i know a lot about alex jensen or really adrian griffin but mm -hmm. give me an unknown quality before giving me known bad or qualities so uh I don't know. The Lakers are in an interesting spot here. Maybe they think somebody else could be mm -hmm. coming open as well. And there may be guys that they're interviewing that. I mean, I would almost guarantee there's probably people they're interviewing that um, we don't really know about yet, but I, yeah, it's, it's a pretty top heavy kind of coaching free agency class right now. And that's even assuming Quinn Snyder becomes a part of that. If he doesn't become a part of that, then yeah. there's going to be a, a push for for Darvin Ham between the Lakers and the Hornets are going to be a really intriguing team in this as well because it seems like right now the two front runners are Darvin Ham and Mike D'Antoni. Um, it'd be a little odd because they fired James Borrego in part because they struggled a lot defensively. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike D'Antoni isn't known exactly for his defense, but Lord Almighty, could you imagine a offense a Mike D'Antoni offense built around Lamella wall that would be glorious so I don't know what they'll do in Charlotte but Darvin Ham's gonna be I mean I, I would say I guess fortunately now it doesn't really seem like there's gonna be any other job openings unless it Philly really does something here to uh, blow it against Miami or the Jazz kind of on uh, if the Jazz fire uh quinn snyder but then the lakers will be in on that so i would think charlotte right now is going to be the only competition for darvin ham but he's going to be a hot commodity this uh off season you know who'd be great for charlotte with the right roster is frank vogel not even he as would a be very much so yeah yeah and but <laughs> for one it would solve that defense a problem and mm. if you got somebody more offensive focused on that staff it would it would genuinely be great i don't want that because that takes out a trade partner for russell westbrook because yeah i don't think they're <laughs> going to pair together frank vogel and russell westbrook again oh man 
That'd be great. Giving one, giving Frank Vogel a team that doesn't have a center and also has Russell Westbrook is probably like in the bottom two scenarios for him as, as a head coach. I actually know who my third option would be. I totally forgot about this. I knew there was somebody I couldn't remember. Phil Handy would be my third choice. Oh, uh, Phil Handy might even be my. It, I I don't know. Is it is it a hot take to say that he'd be my my first choice? Mm, I probably not. I mean, right now it doesn't sound like he's someone the Lakers have really are considering internally, which. I don't know. I'd scratch my head a little bit. Um, It would make sense just to give an interview right now. We talked about it before, but he obviously, since we last talked about him, came out this week and said that predictably, he's just kind of said, I'm done being an assistant coach. I want my own, uh, I want my own team. So in some of the, the quotes he gave really made it sound like he was kind of, campaigning for the Lakers job which I don't blame him mm-hmm. but he basically said I don't want to go to a rebuilding team I'd like to go to a team that is competing now but has young players that you can kind of develop and if you look I mean anytime a team has LeBron and AD they're going to compete and then you have guys like THT Austin Reeves potentially Stanley and Winion. uh there would be guys you could develop there as well so yeah no Phil Handy would definitely be in my top three yeah, I could you could make an argument for him being first, but again, that almost also uh shows how shallow the coaching pool is as well, because he this is like the first time he's well, I guess he was interviewed by Washington last year, but really the first time he's really put his name out there as wanting to be a head coach. Before we uh, go into the break and talk some winning time, uh, did, did you get the chance to watch any of the games that happened today? Did not watch uh, Dallas Phoenix, although I laughed at Chris Paul's stat line. Uh, real point God performance there. Um, I did watch a good chunk of Philly and uh, Miami. Um, Jimmy Butler's really, really good. But uh, <laughs> shockingly, I literally tweeted this after game three that James Harden never has like a marquee playoff game. I, he finally did it, I guess. He had a big game uh, tonight. So congrats on to his first big playoff game in a moment that mattered. It only took him however 12, 13 years. I don't know how long he's been in the league, but shout out to him for finally getting one of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I tweeted out um, anytime there's like conversation of Lakers fans wanting to trade Lo- one of LeBron or AD and blow it all up. One, I think it's dumb, but I think James Harden and Joel Embiid kind of illustrate why I think it's so dumb. Because when you have players all star caliber and in some seasons like MVP caliber players. I mean, at least in uh, Joel and Beads and James Harden's and LeBron James case, like MVP caliber players. If you have a superstar duo, it may not work all the time. Like the Nets are a prime example of a, of a all-star duo that just didn't work this season. But LeBron James and Anthony Davis have proven that if they're healthy and you get them at the right time that it works, 
And I think a lot of Sixers fans may have watched James Harden and Joel Embiid and been like, well, we, we made our big play. Ben Simmons is off the team, but this, this James Harden, Joel Embiid thing probably isn't going to work. And I wouldn't even dream about giving him the super max. Maybe I still wouldn't go that far as to say, like, I'm going to give James Harden the super max if I'm Daryl Morey. But if I'm, if I'm Daryl Morey or I am a Sixers fan in general, I look at this and go, okay, well, how many other pairings on this team can do what Harden and Embiid are doing right now uh, and have done the past, like, two games? The answer is none. And there are even fewer duos across the league that that can go off like that and win a series for you. So it's just, uh, I guess, not having Lakers basketball has made me appreciate other talented teams and and what superstar talent can do for you and hopefully the the lakers stay healthy next season whether it's because they conditioned in the off season or because mark jackson baptized anthony davis in the holy oil uh i mean it is still ultimately and you see this repeatedly in the playoffs it's still a superstar league and that is the merit that the Lakers went out and got Russ on. Um, They probably took it a step too far in it being a superstar league, but ultimately if you have two superstars, if you build a competent team around them, you're going to compete. Lakers won a title doing that Uh, two superstars and a very competent roster around them and they won a title. So, yeah, as long as you have those two guys, uh, LeBron and AD, you're going to be competitive. And yeah, as you said, that's you don't like you don't trade AD like it, and you don't trade LeBron just because he might leave because you literally build a team to win a title. And as long as those two are on the roster, you have a shot at winning a title. And like end of story. So yeah, that I I when it comes to Philly. I'm still not really sold on Harden and Bede together. Uh, Harden looks mega washed, but he turned back the clock on Sunday and looked good enough to kind of pull out the win and carry them to the win late. So kudos to Embiid for gutting this one out right now too, because he does not look like himself. Understandably, he has a myriad of issues right now, but kudos to him for for gutting this out and playing through everything and wearing the mask and taping fingers up and all that stuff because he is uh he's giving them enough and absolutely needed him speaking of turning back the clock danny green having a nice game to add uh, salt in the wound of lakers fans after wesley matthews had a really good game in boston it's just it's all a sick joke all of this is a sick sick joke <laughs> Especially Wesley Matthews, because like he was not only there on the minimum, he was there like half the season on a minimum and the, and the wanted Lakers to come back just, so bad. Yeah. And the Lakers just stared at him and like, bro, what were you? Both those guys would have been godsends to this Lakers team this year. We're going to stop wallowing in self-pity uh, and take a quick <laughs> break. Sunday marked the end of another season for the Lakers, uh, but this was the season finale of winning time. And I say season finale because they were renewed for a second season. And I'm not sure 
I mean, I have an idea. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a continuation of these Lakers or if they're going to jump to the next era in the second season. My guess is it would be a continuation of this team uh, because there is a lot of history that was still left uncovered after uh, the season finale. Uh, and the just the opening scene of the show suggests that there is more story that they want to tell with the series. So uh, I guess we have that to look forward to. But without without getting too far ahead of ourselves, uh, what did you think of the season finale of Winning Time? It was great. Uh, the last two episodes were two of my favorites from the whole season. Um, I don't know specifically order they shot the episodes in or anything but i would venture to guess these two came pretty late in the process because it felt like everybody had a pretty good grasp on who they were as who they were playing and just a grasp on the role and whatnot because episode nine was probably my favorite episode 10 was like if you're listening to this on monday go check out our kind of fact checking piece on this game but i kind of let it off and closed it by just saying like this was a Hollywood moment, like a straight from the silver screen pun intended moment (laughs) um, where like you, it it was just remarkable the way it played out. So like the fact checking piece, largely speaking, this, this game, like how they portrayed it, that's how it played out. Like, there wasn't a lot of deviation from the truth. And if there was, it was small little things just for added drama. But this was a a remarkable moment just in real life. Like I went back and watched um, the actual game. I watched the episode, then I watched the actual game so that I could compare the two. And just like in the moment, real like just thinking about the fact that this was Magic Johnson as a rookie doing this in the NBA finals, just, he was 20 years old when he did this. Like I, I, it's hard to even fathom that happening in today's NBA, having a 20 year old play as he did in the finals and win finals MVP. Like that just doesn't happen. Yeah. What's crazy to me, uh, I guess is how the arcs of these characters that, Again, there's still so much to unpack with a lot of them. Uh, But Magic and Kareem, who a lot of the episode was centered around, um, their arcs from the start of the season to the end, I think paints a pretty good picture for all of the complaints about how, you know, Kareem was depicted, Jerry was depicted. Um, I think the portrayal of Magic and Kareem's relationship is, is grounded enough in reality to where knowing Kareem outside of the show and knowing magic outside of the show and everything that's been reported about these two, um, that the puzzle pieces kind of just came together and made for like a really fitting season finale, uh, which I thought was really nice. Um, And especially like Kareem's attitude towards basketball and, and the influence that playing with magic Johnson had, on him it's like it's kind of like having an older dog and then you bring a puppy into the fold and like all of a sudden 
you know, your dog has this renewed sense of energy. That's very much the vibe I got from this pairing. And again, it was made for Hollywood at the time, but actually seeing it on, on screen just makes you realize like there are a lot of stories to tell on every team, but especially a team as storied as this one with personalities as big as, as they had. So I looked it up. I want to touch a little bit more on your point here in a second. I looked it up. The only, there's only 12 players in the NBA that are 20 years old. Jalen green is probably the best among them. So would you imagine the Rockets getting to the finals and then Jalen green going off for 41, 15 and seven or something along the lines. I mean, if you want to even go to 21 years, you're looking Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, guys like that. But that gives you a grasp of, like, how young he was doing this against the best team in the league, the other best team in the league. And so it was remarkable, like, to the point you made about Magic's impact on Kareem, I, I kind of touched a bit on that. In the piece as well, it, there was the scene where Magic gets on the plane. And, I mean, in real life, the the kind of mood around the Lakers was pretty kind of somber. Like, Kareem was out. They were flying across the country to go play game six. And if you watch the broadcast, everything was more focused on will Kareem play in game seven. And there was as much talk about that as anything. So the mood was very somber when and magic comes onto the plane with a boom box and blasting music, singing along, laughing and telling everybody, don't worry, I'm here. I can be, I'll replace cap and things like that. And um, that type of confidence in a 20 year old in a locker room full of veterans, like, I think perfectly encapsulates who magic was not even just like on the court, but just kind of his personality and the impact he can have on a team because that changed everybody's mindset. They went from this somber tone to thinking, Oh, we could, we're actually going to win this game. And if you watch the game itself, I mean, the Lakers completely outplayed the Sixers, like no Kareem and they obliterated Philly on the boards and um, you could tell that there was a belief that they had that, oh, we can actually do this. And I credit a lot of that to Magic because he uh, he he provided as much of a spark to this team and their personality and their kind of mental edge as he did to anything as anything he did on court. So this was I, I kind of got thinking about this. Is, is this. Like when you think of greatest players ever, there's like a moment that always sticks out. Is this Magic Johnson's moment? 100%. Like in the context of how young he was and how much it meant to the Lakers uh, for them to win that title and knowing what followed, like had they not won the finals would they be remembered as this great team that they were? Um, or would Magic Johnson still be Tragic Johnson? Like, it's crazy. It is It is one of those revolving doors moments. Um, 
not just for that team, but for the Lakers as a whole, uh, because a big theme in, in the show is, you know, a lot of teams have this, these aspirations of being one of the greatest franchises of all time. And, you know, just dominant year after year. And the Lakers weren't that at the time. And, you know, I kind of started with the Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar teams and just never stopped. It just snowballed from there. So it's wild. Um, I mean, there are still really famous characters from that Showtime era that still haven't been introduced. And um, I'm really looking forward to season two. One thing um, that I didn't realize until... I was watching the episode uh, and, and really until I watched this, watched this series is there, there was an, a bit of irony that is almost too good for television and like too perfect that Jerry West saw Magic Johnson as a big man and Magic Johnson's defining moment of, with, you know, that <laughs> team and, uh, you know, Jerry West is, is him playing center. Uh, it's like couldn't write it better than that. <laughs> yeah. I I don't there was a little bit of truth to him seeing him as a big man. I, I think the the story exaggerated it a bit and Jerry West downplayed it a, a lot and um the, I I hadn't thought of that. That is kind of funny that I mean in some way Jerry <laughs> Jerry West was right, but the there was a very specific situation that called for it we've said this a couple times i absolutely love jerry west character mm-hmm. in in winning time it is so funny i earnestly i really believe that's a lot closer to how he was than he probably cares to admit now they they turn it up a bit probably more than a bit but uh i, I believe is that there's there's a lot of truth to how he's portrayed and um especially at the end when he's like they they've summited the mountain they're champions and jerry west is just standing outside the locker room looking into it and uh the gm whose name escapes me right now comes out and says uh go celebrate like this is part of your title too and he basically says no it's theirs and the uh the gm says well if it was a loss, it would have been yours. So like, it was a really enlightening moment and kind of a peek into, I mean, Jerry West has talked about that part. So, I mean, it's really a shame how much negative kind of press has been put out about this show because I really, really enjoy it. I try to tell all my friends to watch it. Like it was a really enjoyable show. It was, and I mean, I've made the point many times. It was not supposed to be a documentary. It, but even there's still a lot of facts to what happened. And so it, it, I love so many parts about it. I, I want to like, I'm going to give a big shout out to uh, the actor who plays Magic Johnson because he was incredible all season long and then this was the most basketball he played and he looked like magic like it's not easy to look like magic so he was amazing um jerry west character was amazing 
I thought they really nailed Kareem's character. Um, I, I'm really interested to see how they approach things moving forward. Um, how quickly they, what the second season, what the timeline is. Cause there's a lot of interesting stories. I mean, Paul West said is going to be fired and, or he is fired in the real life the next season. Um, and you have the ascension of Pat Riley and then you have all those Lakers and Celtics wars. So I wouldn't be terribly surprised if they jumped ahead a good amount to those Lakers Celtics series and um, skip some, some of the early eighties before they get to that point. Um, whatever it is, I'm really excited because I really, really did enjoy this show. And um, like I said, it, it's a shame that so many of the Lakers are being so mainly Jerry West is being so outwardly critical of it because in reality, Jerry West character, I think is a lot of people's one of their favorites. And um, it was just a really fun. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say is that it's not like Jerry West is some despicable character in the show. No. Like I, I do think what's funny is I think a lot of people that watch basketball or at least know of Jerry West part of the reason that makes that character um so likable is that you can see it like you could see Jerry West being like this there there are qualities of Jerry West that make you buy into the way he's portrayed uh and of course it's an exaggeration like it's meant to entertain you and it's it's supposed to like invoke an emotion but yeah, it's weird. I, I, whatever. It's over. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll talk he, about it he's again a, next season. He's a, he's a very. I think they do a good job humanizing him. They, and again, this is something we talked about that first episode. As you tend to do in a drama, they went over top over the top, and then they second episode they focused on him and immediately kind of humanized him. And after that, like there's nothing that's been like unlikable about him like and so much to your points there's so many things that like I, I believe that he thoroughly hates Boston and and that comes out through everything and he talked about how stressed he would make himself so I I thoroughly believe that during the finals game six he was probably pacing the hallways in the arena unable to watch the game because he was so nervous and like so there are parts of it that I believe and uh, I just wish he would be a little bit more accepting because I really don't think this paints him in a bad light after you get like it, one of the arguments he specifically had is like, I never snapped a golf club over my leg, yada, yada, yada. It's like, I think you're focusing on a little bit too minute of a detail here. Like, yeah, give it's it a like... little bit. Well, I was what? just going to say, give it a little bit more of a chance. And I, I really think, you wouldn't feel as badly as you do about it. Like, yeah, this isn't going to change his obituary. It's not going to read like no. disgraced NBA star, Jerry West. <laughs> no, it's yeah. uh, if, if anything, whatever, again, it, you know, go get out of cloud. Uh, <laughs> that'll do it for this week's show. Um, I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. Probably the playoffs I'm guessing. Uh, but not actually i was gonna say in two weeks i'll have my brother's wedding and so i don't know if i'll be on but he's getting married on a friday 
Uh, so I will, I will definitely be off. here. No, no, no. no. I'll we have uh, we're, <laughs> we uh, we're going to eventually bring on somebody with alternates as well to do a similar podcast to what we did with James Boyd with the Pacers beat to talk about a trade and possibilities like that. But with winning time and the Lakers yeah. coaching search, there was enough to talk about that we didn't want to try to cram that in there. But we'll throw that in here somewhere in the near future. Thank you all for listening as always, and we'll catch you next week.